Wherein consisteth Christ's exaltation is what our catechism asks in question 31. The answer that is given is Christ's exaltation consisteth in His rising again from the dead on the third day, in ascending up into heaven, in sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and in coming to judge the world at the last day. I'll read now from Philippians 2, 5-11. through 11. Hear now the reading of God's most holy word. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our catechism here deals with the question of Christ's exaltation. I should remind you that we're in a section of the catechism wherein our salvation in Christ Jesus is described to us. We've been told about our sin. And we've been told about the misery that has come upon us because of our sin. We've also been told that God has not left us in our sin hopeless, but has provided a Redeemer, Christ the Lord. And we have been learning about who this Christ is. And we've been learning about who He is and the work that He has done in these terms. We've been talking about His offices, the office of prophet, priest, and king. Isn't that helpful? I don't remember learning about this uh, as a young Christian, but I remember at some point being introduced to this idea that Christ has fulfilled the office of prophet, priest, and king. So much made sense when I learned of that. I remembered the prophets, the priests, and the kings who ministered under the Old Covenant. I, I considered the work that they did, what role they played in the kingdom of God prefig prefigured amongst the Israelites. And all of a sudden you go, yes, this is true. Christ was all of those things in one. And He was all of those things to the maximum, to the ultimate. He is not just another prophet, another king, another priest. He is the prophet, priest, and king of God as the Messiah, the one mediator between God and man. It's marvelous to consider. All of a sudden you begin to look upon Christ and you go, He has done, he has done everything for us. He has met our every need. We need a king. We need a prophet. We need a priest. And he is all of that to the full. It's wonderful to consider. But here we are talking about first his humiliation and his exaltation. As our prophet, priest, and king, he first was brought low in order to earn our salvation, in order to accomplish it. But as we have just read in Philippians 2.5, he was not left in that low estate. He was not left in the grave, but he was raised from the grave, and from there He ascended to the right hand of the Father. From there He will come again. So we must talk about His exaltation. We do not uh, serve a defeated, uh, lowly uh, Savior, do we? He was made low for us to accomplish our salvation, but our Savior is, is highly exalted with everything, with all authority in heaven and on earth being given to Him. We must comprehend this. So wherein consists Christ's exaltation? Um, how was Christ exalted for us? Uh, what did that involve? Uh, a number of things are said to us here in our catechism that are very helpful. Christ's exaltation consists in His rising again from the dead on the third day. 
Uh, you know that this is the clear teaching of Holy Scripture. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 15.4 saying, He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's an interesting little phrase there. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He's referring to the Old Testament Scriptures that looked forward to the time where the Messiah would be raised from the grave. And we could talk about that for a very long time if we, if we chose to do so. But he was raised up. And of course, Paul makes this point elsewhere in his writings that if Christ is not raised from the dead, then we are the most pitiful of all people. Yes? I mean, we're just, we're very pitiful people if Christ did not raise from the dead. Because here we are giving our lives over to Jesus, calling Him Lord, placing our hope in Him. And there have been many times throughout the history of church where men and women have lost their lives because of this profession of faith. And if we are, are serving a Savior who died and remained in the grave, then that Savior is not worthy of being served. But in fact, Christ was raised from the dead. The grave could not contain Him. He, he broke forth from that grave by the power of God. And He lives even now. So He is worthy to be called Lord. He is will, worthy to be called Savior. So there is where His exaltation began at His resurrection and next we learn that He was exalted in ascending up to heaven. We know that Christ was on earth for 40 days after He was raised from the dead. I think He had a lot of very important things to say to His disciples when He was with them on earth for those 40 days. He proved Himself to be alive. I think if we were to ask the question, why would these disciples of Jesus go on to serve Him and even to lose their lives for, uh, for, for the sake of Him? We, we have to see that it was His resurrection that motivated all of this. If He would have remained in the grave, His disciples would have scattered and they would have remained scattered. They would have gone their way and looked for another, another source of hope. But when Christ was risen from the grave, He showed Himself alive to His disciples and that certainly motivated them to confess Him as Lord and to serve them faithfully even to the point of death. He was on earth for 40 days. He taught them many things. He especially taught them how to interpret the Old Testament Scriptures. He showed them that He was the fulfillment of the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms. I would have loved to have been present for those Bible studies. You know, They would have been very marvelous to hear from, from Jesus Himself. But we have record of His teaching in the pages of Holy Scripture in the New Testament as His apostles have taught us what they were taught by Christ Himself. He was on earth for 40 days, but He did not remain on earth. Instead, He ascended into heaven. Acts 1.11 tells us the story about this. And after He ascended, the angels said to His disciples, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven, speaking of His second coming. So, Christ was exalted in that He was raised from the dead, and He was exalted further in that He ascended into heaven. Why was He allowed to go there? Why was He allowed to ascend into heaven? It was because He was faithful. He was faithful to do the work that God called Him to do. Adam was invited to enter into glory in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world. That is what the tree of life signified. He ate instead of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which brought death. So Adam was not taken into glory but fell short of the glory 
of God. Christ, the second Adam, lived and died, was raised from the dead, and He entered into glory, having accomplished the work that God gave Him to do. And the work that God gave Him to do as the second Adam was was even more difficult than the work that the first Adam was given to do. What was the first Adam to do? He was to live in obedience to God perpetually. He was to obey that moral law which was written on his heart. He was to honor God as God. He was to listen to His voice. He was to expand the garden. He was to keep it. He was given things to do. But he did not have the hindrance of of sin. He was in an upright state. Sin had not yet entered the world. He did not have to deal with suffering in the way that we suffer, you see. But Christ, the second Adam, had to keep the law of God perfectly. He had to keep the moral law of God. He had to keep the law that was given to Israel in the days of Moses, the ceremonial and the civil laws as well. And as he did this, he also had to suffer. To suffer not for his own sins, but for the sins of others. Suffer even to the point of dying on the cross. His mission was more difficult. He not only had to live a life of perfect obedience to the Lord actively, he simultaneously had to suffer on behalf of others. He had to, he had to obey the Lord passively as well so that he could atone for the sins of others. You see, Christ's faithfulness was much greater than the faithfulness of Adam could have ever been. He had to keep God's law actively and obey the Lord, but he also had to passively suffer in the place of sinners. So having accomplished that work, having accomplished that work perfectly, he was permitted to ascend into heaven, to ascend into glory, to enter into glory through his perfect obedience. He ascended, and from there he sat down. The scriptures are clear about this. Mark 16, 19 says, So then the Lord Jesus, after He had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. What does this mean? Um, It means that Christ ascended into heaven and sat down upon His throne, the throne given to Him, because He had finished His work. When He sat down, it signified a work that had been completed. It signified authority, the authority that He now possessed. As God's Messiah. Indeed, we are told elsewhere that that He was given a name above every name. In fact, that is what Philippians 2 5 through 11 says, that, that passage that we have already read. God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Christ Himself said to His disciples when He commissioned them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You see, this announcement that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to Christ is meant to bring us encouragement. We do not serve a lowly Savior. He was made low for us to accomplish our salvation. We serve an exalted Savior. He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. He is seated on His throne in heaven. All authority in the heavenly realm and on the earthly realm has been given to Him so that He is King of all. His kingdom has been inaugurated and it will be consummated. He is ruling and reigning even now. We speak of the consummation of all things with these words, and in coming to judge the world at the last day. So He has been exalted and being raised from the dead. 
in ascending to the right hand of the Father where He sat down. And then we are reminded that He will come to judge the world at the last day. I thought it was God who will judge the world at the last day. Yes, it is. It is God in Christ and it is God through Christ that the world will be judged. God will judge the world through Jesus Christ, the God-man, our Messiah. Acts 17.31 says, He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. Do you hear it there? God has determined to judge the world on the last day through this man that He has appointed. The God-man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He has this authority given to Him. And we are assured of it because He is risen from the grave. Brothers and sisters, as we consider the threefold offices of Christ, His humiliation and His exaltation, uh, what should this this mean to us? What difference should this make? I will read London Baptist Confession 8.10. I've read it before. I want to read it again now that we've come to the conclusion of this section of the Catechism. It's most helpful. It says this regarding the offices of Christ. This number and order of offices is necessary. For in respect of our ignorance, we stand in need of His prophetical office. And in respect of our alienation from God and in perfection of the best of our services, we need His priestly office to reconcile us and present us acceptable to God. And in respect to our averseness and utter inability to return to God, and for our rescue and security from our spiritual adversaries, we need His kingly office to convince, subdue, draw, uphold, deliver, and preserve us to His heavenly kingdom. Isn't that a wonderful statement? It is a beautiful statement, it is a succinct statement that reminds us of the fact that in Christ's threefold offices of prophet, priest, and king, He meets all of our needs. We have many needs and Christ meets all of them in these offices that He has fulfilled. We need a prophet because of our, our, our ignorance. Again, I say to you, that is not meant to be an insult, but sin has a way of blinding us, does it not? Sin has a way of making us ignorant towards the things of God. We do not see with clarity as we should. Our, our, our sight is darkened by sin. But Christ, the great prophet of God, has revealed the Word of God to us with clarity. We need His prophetical office. We need His priestly office too because of our alienation from God. We need someone to mediate for us, to atone for our sins, to intercede for us, to bring us back to God. That is what the priests of old did symbolically. Christ has done it really by atoning for our sins and cleansing our consciences before God. He has reconciled us to the Father. He has redeemed us from the curse. Thanks be to God. And we need a king too, because by nature we are rebels, aren't we? By nature we are rebels. By nature we are citizens, not of the kingdom of God, but of the kingdom of darkness. We need to be subdued. We need to be rescued out of that kingdom. We need to be brought into the kingdom of light where we bow the knee and say, Jesus is Lord. And and Jesus Christ, our King, has done that for us by His grace. Aren't you grateful that Christ has, has subdued you? Aren't you grateful that He has conquered you? 
Aren't you grateful that he has caused you by his word and spirit to bow the knee and to say, Jesus, Lord? That is not an oppressive thing that he has done. That is an act of mercy and grace. Thanks be to God that he has so conquered us so that we are now willing to do his will so that we believe upon him for the salvation of our souls. What a gift. As we think about Christ's humiliation, we need to remember that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Isn't that marvelous to consider? When you come to God through Jesus Christ, you have a high priest, a mediator, who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. In other words, he has gone through the things that we go through. Not exactly as we have gone through them. No one life is the same as another. We all have different experiences. But Christ has suffered in the flesh. He knows what it is like to endure the trials and tribulations of life. To suffer pain. To endure sorrow. To experience grief. He knows what this is like. And so when we come to them, we have a high priest. Not one who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15 And as we consider Christ's exaltation... We need to be mindful of the fact that He has the power to meet all of our needs. He has the power to sustain us. He has the power to accomplish all of, our, all of His purposes in us. And this He will certainly do. Romans 8.37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Paul is able to say that because of the exaltation of Jesus Christ to the right hand of the Father. All authority in heaven and on earth being given to Him. In Him we are more than conquerors. Thanks be to God. Let's bow for a word of prayer and then we will go to corporate prayer together. Father, we thank You for the risen Christ. We thank You that in His resurrection He has defeated death, He has defeated sin, He has defeated the evil one. We thank You that He rules and reigns now. His kingdom is here. He is reigning even now, having bound the evil one. We thank You for the encouragement that it brings to us because as we look upon the world we see so much darkness so much wickedness so much evil it seems as if the wicked one is having his way but we know by faith that he is not he is bound he is defeated we thank you for this promise that christ will return to judge and to make all things new we look forward to that day O god this is why we say with the saints of old come quickly lord jesus but we pray that until that day you would make us faithful Help us to live in this world with confidence. Help us to live boldly in this world. May our confidence be be derived not from within, as if we have any reason to boast in ourselves. May we not be confident in the things of this world. May our confidence be derived from the risen Christ. May we have strength to walk as we should because... Our Lord Jesus Christ is seated at your right hand with all authority in heaven and earth being given to him. O Lord, help us to walk by faith in this regard. In Christ's name we pray.